Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, we actually have a good martini for you today, which is a stark contrast to several of our more recent episodes of the Three Martini Lunch. So we're excited to get to that. It's not our first martini, though, because we do have some breaking news in a moment. But just following up on yesterday's crazy martini, Jim, I just want to let everyone know what a collegial, collaborative, talented colleague that Jim Garrity is and what a pleasure it is uh, to work every day with someone so dedicated and so committed to their task. Jim, I'm sure you're honored by that. Um, Greg Corumbus is collegial and collaborative. I am in no way, shape, or form told that I must say this by the management of Radio America. Greg Corumbus is the kindest, bravest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. And in fact, all other former co-workers of Greg Corumbus have declared... Greg Corumbus is the kindest, bravest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. All of us will tell you that in a rote, monotone voice. <laughs> no, Greg's fine. We're just having fun at the Washington Post expense. And yeah, if you missed- Greg, it's always a good day for that. <laughs> If you missed it yesterday, we talked about the whole newsroom uh, dust up at the Washington Post. There must have been like half a dozen Washington Post people who sent tweets at almost exactly the same time using almost exactly the same verbiage. They all talked about how their colleagues were all collegial and collaborative and they weren't coerced to do that at all. I'm sure. Nothing screams collegial and collaborative like everyone saying the same thing simultaneously (laughs) in unison. Also, they're all independent free thinkers. Uh, Blink twice if you need rescue, post employees. <laughs> Hard to do that on Twitter. But anyway, uh, let's talk about our first great sponsor of the day, which is Nutrafol. You don't have to choose between better hair growth and your health. There's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness. So get ahead of that thinning hair with Nutrafol's whole body approach to hair growth. No drugs and no compromises. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage. Nutrafol's hair growth nutraceuticals go beyond genetics to multi-target the root causes of thinning, including stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, aging, and lifestyle through whole body health. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support the Three Martini Lunch by going to Nutrafol.com slash men and entering the promo code Martini to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, there's free shipping on every order, so get $15 off at Nutrafol.com slash men, and that's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men, promo code Martini. All right, Jim, glad we got some laughs in at the beginning here because this first martini certainly is uh, no laughing matter. Uh, This is uh, breaking news, a threat to the life of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Here's Pete Williams, Justice Department correspondent over at NBC News with the details. We've been uh, told by several law enforcement officials that a man was arrested overnight near the home of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. He was armed with a gun, a knife and pepper spray and told authorities that he was there to kill the justice. Now, he was not arrested at the home of the justice. He was arrested nearby. Law enforcement officials tell us that the man actually arrived by taxi and was seen by uh, police and other law enforcement officials that were near 
the justice's house. So he was arrested. He was taken into custody. So Jim um, Williams went on to say it's not clear whether Maryland authorities or the U.S. Marshal Service will end up handling this case. Uh, first of all, kudos to Governor Yunkin and others who made sure that there was security around uh, the justices' homes. But uh, Jim, obviously, if anything had happened or even the threat is the responsibility of that person, yet it doesn't help when everyone keeps talking about how the court is illegitimate and uh, it's fine. It's fine to go to everybody's house to protest. Yeah. At least some of this responsibility for this goes to the leaker. Uh, it is very tough to believe that while the leaker may not have wanted to see Kavanaugh or any other Supreme Court justice assassinated, this leaker almost certainly wanted public outrage against the justices to be maximized in the hopes of getting one of them to uh, reverse their decision. I think some of the blame go, must go to groups like Ruth Sent Us that pointed out the home addresses of the justices. Uh, that does appear to be doxing and a step in the direction of endangering the justices. They too have issued a statement saying, oh no, it's not our fault, it's gun violence's fault or something like that, which just seems uh, kind of ludicrous. I don't think it helps when folks like Chuck Schumer have given angry, furious speeches like Justice Kavanaugh, you will reap the whirlwind for this decision and things like that. Um, now, the other great irony, of course, is that uh, tomorrow night, the January 6th Commission uh, has its big live primetime hearing. And Greg, I assume at that hearing, we're going to hear a lot of warnings about the dangers of elected officials using incendiary political rhetoric that in could inspire unstable people to try to commit an act of political violence. Indeed, Greg, there's a lot of that going around these days, does, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, so, I, I you know, look, thankfully, this guy was caught. Uh, obviously, we're all hoping that this is the last we hear of threats to justices, and that's that. It certainly would be good if the House of Representatives would get up off its tush and pass that legislation ensuring U.S. Secret Service and other federal law enforcement protection for the justices at their homes and their families. Um, I don't think we can reasonably assume that the threat has gone away. And, you know, when, when this first came out, I think you and I talked a little bit about the, uh, the novel and film The Pelican Brief, right, where some nut job is trying to knock off Supreme Court justices because of a big decision going. It's part of a big political conspiracy and, and all that kind of stuff. But the just being that somebody who's sufficiently mad about the, you know, both the current decisions and the uh, expected future decisions of the Supreme Court could just say, you know what, I'm just going to start killing them because my president and my party controls con uh, the Senate. They'll be able to replace them with justices that I like and this will be OK. Um, hopefully nobody's thinking that. But I think obviously, you know, security services and police uh, have to have that in mind. Uh, and I think a lot of people have been pouring gasoline on this fire for a long time. And I think this is an, a near inevitable result of that kind of furious over the top denunciation uh, of Supreme Court justices. So, you know, right now the news is not that bad. They caught the guy. Hopefully he, you know, gets successfully prosecuted, put away for a long, long time. But um, an ominous indicator and I think a very foreseeable consequence of a lot of bad and irresponsible decisions over the last couple of months. Yeah, well said. And I agree with your point about the House of Representatives uh, taking action on this. I would also say, Chief Justice Roberts, if this decision is done and everybody's got their stuff in, release it. Because one of the motivations for nut jobs like this is to know that if uh, one of the justices involved in the deliberations is no longer alive uh, before it's actually issued, uh, that vote doesn't count. 
So uh, in the depraved minds of some, that might be uh, a reason to act. So when you've got people uh, being threatened like this, release it. Get it out and over with. Soapbox done. Jim, let's talk about one other uh, important factor here, and uh, that is Father's Day is uh, coming up. It's only a week from Sunday now, and if you're scrambling to figure out what to get dad, think no more. Dads want steak. It's that simple. I love the, uh, the the box that I get from Omaha Steaks. The steaks wrapped in the in the bacon, the filet mignon, could not be tastier. They are so, so, so good. Uh, the burgers are fantastic. The Omaha Steaks burgers, you get eight free of them in this Dad's Want Steak package. $99. You get 16 mouthwatering entrees, including the bacon-wrapped filet mignon, the gourmet jumbo franks, the air-chilled boneless chicken breasts, and for dessert, the caramel apple tartlets, plus the eight free burgers. Uh, so visit omahasteaks.com and type martini into the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks package today. You'll get eight of their new, bigger Omaha Steaks burgers absolutely free. And because it's Omaha Steaks, everything is backed by their 100% money-back guarantee. That's omahasteaks.com. Type martini in the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks package today. Jim, uh, just yesterday, we were wondering, should we make the good martini today about the recall that we think is about to happen in San Francisco? And then we said... Nah, that might jinx it. That would look really, really bad if he actually finds a way to survive. Same thing for Rick Caruso in the L.A. mayor's race. Well, we're happy today to make the good martini the fact that uh, uh, we did not jinx them in any way, shape, or form. We've got results that we wanted. Uh, Rick Caruso uh, is uh, headed to the L.A. mayor's runoff in the general election against Congresswoman Karen Bass. Uh, That is going to be a Tough race to win, probably, but it was long expected that Karen Bass would get to 50% yesterday and it would be all wrapped up. Not the case at all. In fact, last I saw, I think Caruso might have been slightly ahead. But anyway, they're very, very tight around the 40% mark. Meanwhile, up in San Francisco, Chesa Boudin, the Soros-backed prosecutor who thought the best way to act as a prosecutor was to you know, not uh, require bail, uh, not arrest people for uh, lots of different things like looting and shoplifting and uh, other crimes, which you and I would probably consider violent, like, you know, taking and mugging people on the street. Now, he just decided to overlook pretty much all that stuff. And that's why we got security camera footage of Louis Vuittons and Walgreens and everybody else just getting cleaned out in a matter of minutes because these people knew that nothing was going to happen to him. Well, he got crushed in San Francisco on a recall by a 60 to 40 margin. And, Jim, the best part of this is uh, is Boudin's reaction to this. It's San Francisco. So who is responsible for him losing? Well, Republicans, of course. People are angry. They're frustrated. And I want to be very clear about what happened tonight. The right-wing billionaires outspent us three to one. They exploited an environment in which people are appropriately upset. And they created an electoral dynamic where we were literally shadow boxing. Voters were not asked to choose between criminal justice reform and something else. They were given an opportunity to voice their frustration and their outrage, and they took that opportunity. Yeah, they were basically asked to decide whether you suck at your job, and the answer was yes. So, uh, Jim, what do you make of the results and his response to it? Well, I mean, let's give them let, let's concede the point that, yes, San Francisco Republicans did mobilize against Chase Boudin, <laughs> both of them. Um, I, I mean, the entire city, the, the both, all, all two of them did mobilize against that. The I was surprised I had not realized until recently uh, and I read the National Review editorial calling for the district attorney's dismissal uh, 
um, that Chase Boudin, uh, when he was 14 months old, his parents were arrested and convicted for murder for their role in the Brinks armored car robbery of 1981, which killed two cops and a Brinks guard. His parents were members of the left-wing Weather Underground, so he was raised by fellow Weather Underground members, Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn. Oh, I don't know about you, Greg, but that took me back, because you may remember <laughs> Ayers and Dorn being mentors to a young Barack Obama in Chicago and all that stuff. Now, lo and behold, their, you know, uh, de facto adopted son ends up becoming the district attorney um, uh, of San Francisco and takes a position that basically he is there to defend the criminals from the cops. And that the really the real villain in this story is the law enforcement system itself that he is, of course, playing a key role in. Um, I don't know about you, Greg, but man, Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn. First of all, you know, talk about a name that takes you back, but also. Among the left-wing radicals, they are just the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> Two generations of uh, trying to louse up the U.S. criminal justice system. Um, look, when you don't enforce the look, I think what's kind of I've seen a couple of interesting theories. And I think one of them, the most intriguing one, is the idea that San Francisco voters look. On the one hand, they're liberal Democrats. On the other hand, they're so used to hearing far-left rhetoric that is so out there that they kind of don't really think it means anything anymore. And along comes Chase Boudin, who actually means it and who actually put it into effect. And lo and behold, crime got out of control. And all of a sudden there was poop in the streets everywhere. And all of a sudden there was just this general sense of lawlessness and the city starting to decay from within and, and you know, families fleeing and um, a general sense the city was becoming unlivable. And that a big part of it was that the people who were in charge of enforcing the laws simply refused to enforce the laws. You know, and we reached a point where even San Franciscans are like, no, this is too much for us. We can't deal with it. We need something closer to law and order. We need to put dangerous criminals behind bars. Sorry, Chesa. Nice try. We can't live with this anymore. It just doesn't work. Good riddance. Um, for him to say, oh, it's the right wing billionaires and all that stuff. I mean, if right wing billionaires could get what they wanted in San Francisco, Chesa Boudin would never have been off. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi wouldn't be in office. No, no Democrats would be in office. So the idea that, you know, it, it is a rather, I think, revealing statement that when, yes, you know, he was shadow boxing. He did not have an opponent to contrast him with. In some ways, this is one of the purest ways. So, you know, this is, you know, city, city of San Francisco. What do you think of the job your district attorney is doing? And they said, no, it's it is as bad as what we just stepped in. That's what we think of the job he's doing. And that's what, you know, that's why he lost. Mayor London Breed will be appointing the next DA. I don't, I'd like to hope it's going to get better. I think, you know, she would have recognized the, uh, uh, you know, consequences of this recall. The fact that it was 60 40 wasn't even all that close. Um, so hopefully there'll be something there. On a little bit further south, I actually have been following the Rick Caruso uh, bid for mayor for a couple of weeks. This is, you know, maybe a mild disappointment, you know, getting 50% in a large multi-candidate race was always going to be uh, a high bar to clear, but he got 41, 42% last time I checked the uh, numbers and they're still coming in kind of slowly for, you know, uh, by, by the standards of us, those of us on the East Coast. But, you know, it is the largest percentage. Um, I was surprised how many Democratic consultants looked at this and said, oh, well, Karen Bass has got this in November. I'm not so sure. Uh, she was at 37, 38%, you know, uh, not, you know, a very respectable performance, but not the leading performance. And I'm sure she's going to try to argue that Rick Caruso is a Democrat, is a Republican in Democratic clothing. 
Um, but I think this a result like this says people are people are angry. People are upset with the state of, of their city. They're up there. They don't feel safe. They feel like uh, the homelessness problem has gotten much worse than it ever has before. And there's just a general sense of, again, lawlessness, anarchy, decay, decline. Um, and Rick, you know, there's really not an easy way to say that Karen Bass is not is, is not a creature of the establishment she's been representing los angeles in the state assembly and in congress for more than a decade she's part of the political system uh caruso is the billionaire he's the outsider and he's running on law and order and running on you know arguing the city's done a terrible job on homelessness it's wasted a ton of money and it's not getting people into shelters the way it's supposed to and promises have not been kept so I think it's a very resonant message we'll see how things shake out between now and november he's got clearly nearly unlimited funds but I think most most importantly, just Los Angelinos want something different. Um, two other little bits of good news for Republicans in California, and I'm just emphasizing them because we get to say that so rarely. <laughs> um, I, I you know it's been a really long time since Republicans have won any statewide race. Uh, Lanhee Chen is running for state controller. They audit state agencies and basically keep the books. Um, he won the most in the open jungle primary. He got 36.7 percent last time I checked. Uh, the leading democrat got 21.4 percent now let's not have any illusions this does not mean chen is a a sure thing in november it's still it's still california uh he's still a republican it's not going to be but this might be one of those jobs where a bunch of californians might be like you know it's probably good to have a, a you know republican who's good with numbers and wants to eliminate waste and wants to make sure the taxpayer money is being used wisely maybe that's a state job we can have a republican in um, so certainly hoping for that. And also one other little, you know, threshold of success for the Republicans in California. Uh, they're going to have a Republican Senate candidate on the ballot in November. You might be saying, Jim, why is that such a big deal? Well, that hasn't happened since 2012. Under the jungle primary, the top two vote getters go on to it. Now, look, the current uh, appointed incumbent, Alex Padilla, Greg Padilla is going to be there until he retires or until he dies or until he goes senile. And, judging from diane feinstein maybe long after that point uh so you look no no illusions you know padilla is going to get extraordinarily likely to win another term but just having a republican on the ballot represents a step in the right direction for california republicans yes yes it's nice to actually have someone on the ballot in november especially when the democrats constantly point out uh, that they won way more votes nationwide in senate races well that's easy in california when you had both of the nominees <laughs> So uh, it definitely skews the numbers. A uh, couple of quick points here back to San Francisco. First of all, uh, last night, uh, Boudin lost, of course, by a lot. Um, but he says that he won. They've already won. And he did it in that uh, far left, repeat after me chant style, which is really uh, unnerving. Our cause, Our cause is righteous. Is righteous. Our, cause Our cause is righteous. Is righteous. Our cause, Our cause is, righteous. is righteous, and we have already won. And we have already won. And we have already won. Doesn't seem like there are a lot of people there, Jim. But uh, good to know there's a lot of free thinkers on his side of this debate. Greg, you know what I hear when I listen to chanting like that? What? Our workplace is collegial and collaborative. <laughs> Our workplace is collegial and collaborative. <laughs> Incoherent chanting now. Incoherent <laughs> chanting now. Exactly. By the way, as a result of this, um, 
watch the Democrats pivot to care about crime and pretend that everything they said during the riots and since then about defunding the police and all sorts of things like that, they're going to try and whitewash that and the media is going to help them because they know that it was a typo. (laughs) We meant refund the police. Because if it loses by 20 points in San Francisco, guess what's going to happen just about everywhere else in the country? And they're going to try to scramble and pretend it didn't happen, and we can't let them do it. Voters, the D and the R are right next to each other on the keyboard. It's very easy for a finger to slip. And for the last three years, we've been using the wrong slogan. Sorry about that. Oopsie. As Emily Latella would say, never mind. Yeah, yeah. Make them pay at the ballot box. All right, Jim. uh, The Three Martini Lunch also brought to you today by NetChoice. As Americans, innovation has always been what makes us different. America's tech industry outpaces the world. We have the most innovative companies that power our economy and way of life. And the reason for that is free market innovation. That's what makes us number one. But some in Washington want to put big government in charge of America's top innovators attacking our own in the name of competition, while our true competitors like Europe and China close the gap. NetChoice believes congressional conservatives must stand for American innovation, not big government, by rejecting progressive antitrust proposals. They encourage you to tell your senator to oppose Senator Amy Klobuchar's Senate Resolution 2992. Learn more about the fight and send a letter to your representatives at netchoice.org slash 2992. This message was brought to you by NetChoice. Did a bad accounting rule lead to the 2008 financial crisis? I'm Bill Walton. On the latest edition of The Bill Walton Show, I'll tackle that question. I'll also share my insights from decades in the private equity world and explain what it takes to be successful. Join John Tamney of Real Clear Markets and me as we break down the memoir of Blackstone's Stephen Schwarzman. Follow The Bill Walton Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim, double-fisted, I would say bad, Uh, you could say crazy on this one, Uh, as it relates to our economy. First of all, a very dire projection from the World Bank and a lawmaker uh, following that who is uh, doing her best Marie Antoinette impression. That would be Debbie Stabenow of Michigan. First of all, uh, this is the World Bank estimate uh, as written up by the Washington Post. Apparently the people not in the Twitter spat, maybe. Uh, The global economy may be headed for years of weak growth and rising prices, a toxic combination that will test the stability of dozens of countries still struggling to rebound from the pandemic, the World Bank warned Tuesday. Not since the 1970s, when twin oil shocks sapped growth and lifted prices, giving rise to the malady known as stagflation, has the global economy faced such a challenge. The bank slashed its annual global growth forecast to 2.9% from January's 4.1% projection and said that subdued growth will likely persist throughout the decade because of weak investment in most of the world. Uh, So that is not the Roaring Twenties that we were hoping for here. If that projection turns out to be true, let's hope it's not. But meanwhile, Debbie Stabenow apparently had a slightly different experience with her electric vehicle than Rachel Wolf of the Wall Street Journal, who we chronicled earlier in the week. Uh, Debbie Stabenow loves her EV now that she's able to afford it, which she admits in the beginning of this clip. And now she just doesn't care what gas prices are. A long time uh, to have enough chips in this country to finally get my electric vehicle. I got it uh, and drove it from Michigan to here uh, this last weekend and went by every single gas station and didn't matter how high it was. And so I'm looking forward to the opportunity for us to move to vehicles that aren't going to be dependent on the um, whims of the oil companies and the uh, international markets. 
Boy, you can just hear the grave concern for all of her constituents who are struggling to make ends meet in that clip, can't you, Jim? What do you make of the uh, the uh, dire projection from the World Bank and her cavalier reaction to all this? You know, there are a lot of jobs you probably should not badmouth how hard it is to drive a car that isn't electric, how expensive they, how high gas prices are, and how you feel like your old car is just this, you know, piece of this money pit that's constantly sucking money out of you and you, you can never afford anymore. But um, out of all the jobs, you shouldn't say that, Greg. I'm going to say that Senator from Michigan <laughs> is probably high on the list of where you should not be bashing old-fashioned gasoline cars. Uh, kind of figure that's what you know a lot of your constituents are involved in making. Um, no, it's actually kind of backtracking. Like, look, the further out you go to economic projections, the tougher it is to know what's going to happen. So I, I think... We don't know what the mid to late 2020s are going to be like. And there's a lot of road ahead and a lot of variables and, and all that stuff. But I, I think it's safe to say, look, the emergence from COVID-19 has not been that smooth sailing slash economic boom that we thought it was. I mean, that market's boomed and a lot of stuff. But I think increasingly this year in the United States, it feels like this was driven by not just relief funds and stimulus, but just far too much, which created too much money, chasing too few goods which created runaway uh, inflation. I mentioned this is the emergence of COVID-19. If you're in China, first of all, I'm sorry, but second of all, if you're in China, you may not feel like the COVID-19 pandemic is over because it sounds like they're back. There's talk about they may have to shut down parts of Shanghai again. Beijing was that way. Um, the Chinese supply chain aspect of this global supply chain is not back to what it was. And it's really anybody's guess as to when it will get back to what it was, or if ever it will get back to what it is. Uh, there are some good signs that the US uh, corporate America is getting increasingly frustrated by this. Uh, my colleague Kyle Smith had a good piece on how Hollywood was getting tired of trying to cater to, to Chinese interests in their films. So maybe the decoupling of the US economy and the Chinese economy are good things. The complication of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, we've talked about all kinds of not just impact on the global energy markets, oil exports, natural gas exports, things like that. The grain exports that traditionally come out of Ukraine and go out of those southern ports, uh, you know, all kinds of oil related products out of uh, um, out of Russia, including fertilizer for agriculture has been greatly disrupted by this. So we've now had I mean, pretty much since the clock rolled over from 2019 to 2020. The COVID-19 pandemic, a whole bunch of political instability right here in the United States, and then the Russian invasion of Ukraine, you know, it's about as big a shock as you can send it to global economies. And I think it's safe to say that with the, you know, we're, we're going to experience all kinds of shortages and all kinds of commodities. On top of everything else, I think it's pretty clear, at least the U.S. and Western Europe have tried to move to, quote unquote, green energy way too fast and without the ability for solar and wind and all that good happy you know kumbaya green stuff being able to generate the electricity and fuel that we think we need latter half of this decade you know maybe everybody will have transitioned to electric cars and they won't be nearly as bad as that horror story in the wall street journal made it sound like this weekend but until then we're still going to need gasoline and we're still going to need consistent electricity that means you know, there's only been really small steps here and there into accepting nuclear power so you know add all of that up you have an energy crisis you have a commodity crisis you have you know instability crisis in europe uh, you have China still trying to get this handle around COVID-19 long after the rest of the world has left it in the rearview mirror. Look, that's, a, that's an ominous outcome. But hey, don't worry. Debbie Stabenow loves her new electric car.
we've heard Raimondo, we've heard Yellen in the last couple of days both say there's nothing more we can do on gas prices. There's tons more they can do on gas prices. They just won't do it because they see this as their crisis that they don't want to go to waste. Simple, right? Yeah, look, we could let you be prosperous, America, but it's just not in line with our ideology. At least that's the progressive approach right now. Amazing. Well, Jim, at least we had some good news today, which is better than some recent episodes. Uh, Some sad news. You won't be here tomorrow, but you will be back on Friday. So enjoy tomorrow, and hopefully we'll have good news both of the days on the rest of this week. Yep. Happy news. Authenticity Woods Elementary School is having its big graduation ceremony right around when we usually tape. So uh, I will be at that, but back on Friday to be snarky and grouchy, just like always. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National but Review. I, I, I take that back. We are a collegial and collaborative workplace. <laughs> right? Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. Uh, thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They're a big help to us. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us again on Thursday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. This week on the Federalist Radio Hour. And the obvious challenge to that is the media blackout. Um, you know, if, if this were in the other direction, if if the, if the, if the difference here was, um, you know, going in the other direction, then it would be nonstop in the same way. In fact, actually, we have a pretty neat case study in this with the Russia hoax itself. It was nonstop coverage from the media that was essentially doing in journalistic gymnastics to fabricate a conspiracy theory. I'm Emily Jashinsky of The Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.